0: My guest this week navigated his way through television writing and producing for two decades before changing course and becoming an award-winning fiction writer. His books have the charm and humor that he's exhibited in all his work since graduating from NYU. I'm happy to introduce award-winning novelist Bruce Ferber.
1: Thank you, Ian. Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it.
0: No problem. Um, I'm going to change the question I usually ask to... uh, the TV writers, when I talk to them. Right. Do you remember the first book that you read for pleasure that you didn't have to read for school? Oh, my God. The first book that I read for
1: pleasure. um, Way back, you know, my memory of, boy, I used to read books. I used to read sports books because I was a big sports freak. So I remember there there were books that, you know, were not assigned like the Jackie Robinson story and things like this. And I was, I would always read a sports biography, but, um, and and I read fiction. um, I didn't read that much fiction for pleasure in high school. You know, it it was just, at that point, I was really more into film and um, going to the movies. But then somehow after I graduated and I was working, I started out working as an assistant film editor in New York. And when I got my first apartment, I, I, I had a lot of time on my hands because I was, I was alone. It was my first apartment alone and I started reading more and I got into Thomas Wolfe, these beautifully written long, long novels about growing up in the South. And I loved the language. And I thought, you know, maybe someday, I, I, would, I never thought I'd be able to do it, but I, I loved reading novels. Uh, and, you know, I read all the John Update stuff. And, you know, now that I think about it, there there was more that I was reading, you know, even in high school. Um, Philip Roth, Portnoy's Complaint, everybody read that. Um, you know, that you would read things that you weren't supposed to read. <laughs> you would read things like Fanny Hill, you know, and, and all the, the, the slightly porny things that were, oh, Terry Southern's Candy. You know, you'd read, you'd read stuff like that so um so yeah so and i remember i think for one summer i went away to a summer session at andover academy uh which was all boys at the time but in the summer they opened it up to uh co-ed um and it was there that i just thought that wait a minute it it was kind of like going to college but going to like a really cool college and And uh, But they required you to take a composition class. And, you know, you would write poetry and, you know, all these things. And I I remember having a composition teacher who thought I could write poetry and prose. So I guess I sort of had that in the back of my mind. And long after NYU, I guess that kind of clicked in somehow.
0: You didn't mention any humorists. Were you a fan of uh, books by uh, humorists? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, so... So Philip, the early Philip Roth stuff
1: was 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 great, and of course the Woody Allen collections were amazing. <laughs> um, to, to this day, you know, cancelled or not, he remains one of the best joke writers ever to roam the planet. And and uh, so I would read his books, "Without Feathers," short story collection. I remember even in at NYU, um, there was a short story he wrote. Called the Kugelmas incident or episode. you remember that story? I read that. Yeah, where he like goes back in time, or it, it, it's just a crazy, crazy fantasy. And I sort of wanted to make it as an NYU short, but it, but it never never quite got it got, got it together. So um, so yes, I, I and S J Perlman. Yes, there are plenty of humorists, but I would say that novel writing, when you look at it. And especially you look at it today, comedy novels are kind of hard to find now in, in terms of what get, gets published and what's taken seriously. And that, you know, my, my first novel, Elevating Overman, had a lot of comedy in it. And, and there's comedy in everything I do. Um, but that one in particular, I was told, oh, you know, comic novels, or, you know, we, we don't want those. And um, it, it, it was so. so And I don't know, and since I've switched over to writing novels, there is a, there was a part of me that wanted to get as far away from sitcom writing as possible, because when I was in sitcom writing, it was kind of, you know, at, when I say the peak, I don't mean the quality peak, but at the peak of popularity of sitcoms. And when I was sort of leaving, it was when everybody wanted to remake Friends. And it it was just, you remember how many Friends clones they put on the air, and none of them worked. And I was so sick of the formula. I mean, it was still pretty much multi-camera at that point. Most of the shows were multi-camera. I was so sick of it, and I I just wanted to try something new, And and I wanted to try things that you couldn't do in half-hour television. And the novel was a place that I got to do that. And um, and and that's really been rewarding for me. You have
0: a book that came out in June of 2022, I Buried Paul. Yes. And I read that you got the idea for this when you went back to Long Island and saw somebody you were in high school with in a Beatles tribute band. Right. I mean, that
1: that was where the idea for the Beatles tribute band part of the book came into play. But a lot of the through line of that book is how hard it is to be creative and make a living at it. And so that had been in the back of my brain for a really long time because I was in in sitcoms at sort of the high point in terms of being employed. There were tons of jobs, tons of shows. People got paid well and there were some really brilliant people and some not so brilliant people who made a really good living right so and then when i kind of got out of it i i saw, i got to meet all of these brilliant people musicians novelists poets whatever who were really brilliant and you know were struggling to pay the rent so that was something uh, that was something that i really wanted to explore just how many people there are out there who are so good at what they do and it's still so hard for them and how do they how do they deal with it because what what it was really about was if you're a creative person if you're an artist at some level you can't not do it you have to do it and there are you know there are people who they can do uh community theater and have their straight jobs and God knows, to, to make it as a writer, you have to, or an actor especially, you have to have a straight job before you can get into you know, the creative field if you're lucky enough to get in there. Um, but So I wanted to explore that whole um, phenomenon of the artist who can't not create, even if it means making a meager living at it. I wonder where does that leave session musicians? Because they make decent livings. Okay, so th- this is a lot of what's in the book. Um, it's it's what is it like to be a set? But they, they are creating at a certain level. So uh, I'll give you an example. So there's a guitarist who used to play in Paul McCartney's band Wings named Lawrence Juber. Lawrence Juber is probably the best acoustic guitarist I've ever heard in my life. So Lawrence is a session guy. I met him because he was in our Home Improvement band slash orchestra when we would score the episodes he was the guitarist so he's done plenty of session work and now he plays you know gigs on his own but again he doesn't write he plays Beatles covers on acoustic guitar better than anybody so is he creating yeah he's creating he's creating his own vision of that song and when you're in the studio stuff happens in that studio that can make or break a record, you know? Um, Somebody will come up with a bass line or a piano part um, that will make the song a hit. So yeah, those guys feel very lucky and they feel like they are creating, you know? It's the session musician who's really talented, but, you know, has to take a second job at a Subway sandwich shop that is the guy who's really, really not happy. Yeah, because I've
0: talked to people who, saw so, you know um cds in the in the discount bins at at, at stores and then they'll look at the oh god this is hor- horrible album and they'll look and go oh i played on that
1: <laughs> yep yep it's so. true you know the session guys they play on so much stuff you know th- and if they're they're called into the studio for one session for two hours and 20 years later you know, they're not, they may not remember that they did that. Well, I, you know, I can remember every sitcom I ever wrote for every sitcom and, and there were plenty of bad ones too, by the way, when you're starting out, you take what you can get. Um, so yeah, there, there were plenty. And um, yeah, I, I, I never forgot, you know, it, I guess I felt really lucky to be in the game to begin with. And when you're sort of navigating all those crappy shows and, and, you know, now, honestly, I don't think there, there are fewer comedies to begin with. And the ones that survive are better. You know, you, you're, they're not better than Cheers or Taxi, but they're better than the crappy ones that used to be on the air before. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know, cause there's so much competition. You can't survive if it's just, I mean, there were shows that used to be on the air you know and they'd last a couple of seasons they were just awful and because people would watch anything you only had a, three networks and you just turned it on it was background noise but as long as the tvs were on they were rigged you know for me
0: and alice is an example of that right like right. did they just have to cancel it so you mentioned uh elevating overman so do you think i should get lasik surgery do i think you should get lasik surgery um I, I haven't had LASIK
1: surgery, but I use that. But if you want to have superpowers, yeah. Okay. Because because that was uh, that that was the whole theme of that book. The theme of that book was of a guy who is unhappy with his life and he's fifty years old, he wants to change uh, change things up. He's divorced, his kids don't talk to him, he's working as a car salesman and he just wants to change his life. And the setup for that book is, one day he goes to the mailbox, and he pulls out the penny saver, that throwaway, and there's an ad for a LASIK surgery, you know, change your life, $250 an eye. And he figures, well, you know what, if I'm going to start changing my life, I've been wearing glasses my whole life, maybe there's a way to do it. So he does the LASIK surgery, and it does change his life in, in, in small ways, and
0: big ways. So. It's a very interesting idea. Just a small change in somebody's life leading to almost a butterfly effect on how they live. Yeah, I mean,
1: there's what I say about the book is that after he after he has the surgery, he doesn't just see better. He sees differently. He sees the world differently. So that so that that was that, you know, idea.
0: And after you wrote that book, they asked you to speak at uh, Armour Bombax conference. Yeah, I, I
1: got, and then, you know, I kind of went on tour with the book, did, you know, a bunch of book events. And um, the Jewish Book Council sent me, like, in different venues on in the country, you know, with that book, um, which was funny because the book is sort of, it's sort of like R, I wouldn't say soft X rated, but hard R. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I'm, you know, also Irma Bombeck, that workshop is in Dayton, Ohio, and there was an old there was an old lady who bought the book and and was a little offended by what she read, um, but you know that's that's the way it goes, right?
0: Uh, yeah, and, and then you wrote Cascade Falls, and I saw a video of you reading from the book, and uh-huh. my parents live in one of those communities now in South Carolina for over fifty five. Yeah, and
1: this came from my experience. My in-laws had bought one of these places in Phoenix. It's exactly as described in the book, that it was out in the boonies back then uh, where it was. And it was, they plunked it down right in the middle of all these dairy farms. So around five o'clock in the evening, the smell from the dairy farms, the cow piss or whatever the hell it was, would come wafting over. And so, you know, you you just bought your brand new home in paradise and that's what you got got for your money. So I would go there year after year with my wife to visit. And, you know, I said, I, I got to get there's comedy here. I got to get some something out of this. And, and I did. So that was, was it. it.
0: Was it Sun City? What's that? Was it called Sun City? No, it was called
1: Sun Lake. So Sun Lakes, that was the model for Cascade Falls because, you know, both both communities named after water, in a place that has none. Right. And in Cascade Falls, all the streets are named like Ocean Way, Marina Drive, and there's nothing there. But they're sort of recreating a they're recreating Florida
0: in the middle of the desert. Your other work, which you did not, uh, which is not a uh, novel, it it's a compendium of essays from people who work in show business. Correct. Uh, why We Work. Now, the Way We Work. Way We, we Work. work. Um, what what was your, your reason f- for putting that book out? Um,
1: I was honestly in a place where I wrote another novel and I wasn't happy with it. And I had spent almost a year on the thing. And I just, I didn't feel it was ready. I didn't feel like maybe it was something I should put out there. It was a novel from a woman's point of view that I had never done before. And and, and I just, you know, it, it was a good effort and a good experiment for me, but I just didn't feel it was happening. I didn't know how to fix it. And I just put it aside and I said, I'm gonna do a nonfiction book about my other job, what I did for all those years and being in show business. And I'm gonna talk to all the people I know and find people I don't know, and really put out something that is an overview of what it's like to work in the business. So um, so that's what I did. And it, 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 was, it was a really good experience for me, you know, to kind of talk to all these people, to assemble, you know, the list. And I tried to get people at the top and people at the bottom. Um, and I got to tell my own experience, which I, I had never done, you know, through fiction. So, so I kind of laid it all out there, and and it was it was a, it was a great project for me.
0: Yeah, I had uh, Billy Van Zant on, and I read I have his book as well, and I guess a small part of that it was in your book.
1: Yes, Billy and I worked together, um, and many many years ago, Billy had sent me a version of that book which I, I really liked, but he told me that he couldn't put it out because he had named so many names that his lawyer said you can't put it out. So when I was assembling the way we worked, I remembered his Lucy uh, chapter <laughs> and I thought I would love to have this in my book. And so he said, sure. And then that got him thinking. He said, Bruce, you know, I, uh, my, I said, what I asked him, what's happening with your book? He said nothing because the lawyer said, um, I can't publish it because all these names. And I told him, Billy, it's so good. Take out the names and, and get it out there, which he did. And it it's terrific. And, you know, so in a way, he lent me his little chapter and I encouraged him to do the whole book. And it worked out great because, you know, we, we both got something really good out of it.
0: And I understand Stephen Van Zandt is a, was a fan of Cascade Falls. No, I buried Paul. I buried Paul. Yes,
1: yeah, Steve Steve made it. It was so funny because I had lunch with Billy and I said, you know, you think your brother would like this? And he said, well, I think he would love it. But if I send it to him, he might not read it because, he, you know, I'm not a music guy, whatever it is. He said, but give me a copy. I'll send it to him. We'll see what happens. So. One morning, I get a text from Billy saying you're Stephen's book of the week on Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook and, and Sirius, you know, radio. So it was huge. It was huge that, that he loved it. So it was Sprinting, cool.
0: Sprinting has a channel on
1: Sirius, right? Oh, he has a bunch of channels. His main one is the Underground Garage. Um, that's that's his first one. And then he has one called Outlaw Country, that's a country station.
0: He's not on it himself, but he, he runs it. Right. And I think he's got a third one, too. You were younger and you wanted, you wanted to get into writing. It was film writing, though. Yeah, I started out because I went to NYU film school and everybody wanted to
1: be a director like Martin Scorsese. And, you know, everybody wanted to be a writer-director. And then you graduate and you realize that, You know, not very many people are going to get that job. And you have to figure out, well, what am I going to do? And I came out to L.A. I got my first job as a production assistant on a movie called Death Race 2000. And I did that for a couple of weeks. And then I started looking for assistant film editing jobs because I knew I could do it. And there were plenty of jobs. So I would just what I would do is I would take a job. Would usually last around six months and then after that show was over or movie i would uh go on unemployment insurance and and write so i kind of used that as my what was then national endowment grant mm-hmm. you know that was my version of that and i'd write and then when i ran out of money i'd get another job and this went on you know six months at a time for a couple of years
0: and then you wrote a Spec script, yeah,
1: for when, sure. it was for MASH. That, so, in, in those days, you could get a job with one spec script. No longer, I mean, it's much tougher today in, in all respects. But, um, so I wrote a spec script for MASH, and I, my friends, Howard Gewirtz and his then partner, uh, all, we all went to NYU together. And Howard stopped working with that guy, and I started working with that guy. And then Howard was doing Bosom Buddies, and they invited us to do a script. And then we did another script. And after that, my uh, my late partner and I had, you know,
0: we worked together for about six years or so. So Bosom Buddies was your first job, and then you did a uh, Laverne and Shirley episode. Yep. Yeah. And that was freelance script.
1: Yes, it was. In those days, they had such things.
0: And was that Mark Sakin there at that time? No, at that point, it was Arthur Silver was the guy. Okay. He had a long career. Yeah.
1: And Arthur Silver was Gary Marshall's tennis coach, tennis pro. And Gary Marshall used to bring all his friends onto his shows. And, you know, if you thought they were funny in person, you just hire them and make them writer.
0: House Calls was your first staff position?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah.
0: And that was that was uh, Liam Redgrave.
1: By the time I got there, it was
0: Sharon Gless, because okay. they had a big to do
1: at Universal. She wanted to be able to breastfeed on the set or something or whatever while she was shooting, um, and they wouldn't let her do it. And so they replaced her with Sharon Gless. So I did that for one year. And then um, Wayne Rogers, I think, demanded a ton of money for the next
0: year. And they just
1: canceled the show.
0: Yeah, it was a precipice hit. It was like top 25. We got some of,
1: we, we got, I, I think they ran it after their MASH was on because Wayne Rogers had
0: been in right. MASH. Um, and I think it picked up some of that audience. And then you did a show, which you always love to talk about I've in interviews, um, Star of the Family. Oh, yeah, that's my that's one of my
1: unbelievable uh, experiences. Um, And, you know, when you think about a premise for a show, it was about it was Brian Dennehy as a firefighter and his buddies at the fire station. Uh, He was a widower and he had a dumb son and a daughter who wanted to be a country western singer. such a bizarre uh, combination of elements. And the show didn't work at all. Brian was, you know, terrific actor for his whole career. Um, And uh, yeah, it's, you know, the story that I tell is that um, the show was so bad and and Brian had done Shakespeare uh, at Yale and just all these, impressive he had all these impressive credentials and one day I, I you know summoned up the guts to pull him aside and I asked him you know why are you doing this shit and he looked me in the eye and he said Bruce I bought a boat
0: <laughs> and that was that was a good lesson in show business but the good thing is you're, it's not listing in your credits because those episodes for whatever reason on IMDB and Wikipedia, they don't have episode titles. They you know they said 13 episodes are produced and the the uh, pilot was written by I forgot who wrote the pilot, but then none of the other writers or episodes are listed. So people don't we we, we we paid IMDB a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> you must because it's not that so then because when you said it I was like doing research. I'm like, wait a second, that's not on his list. Well, great you know, all the stuff from way back then,
1: you know, the IMDb slowly catches up with it. But there was another show that I worked on for years called Duet that they hadn't even listed that show for a long time because it. I guess it wasn't out on, on DVD or anything like that. And, you know, that show lasted for four seasons or something.
0: Yeah. And then it's off. You were on for right. the. The fifth, yeah a show i actually like and have all the episodes of is jennifer slept here okay so if i'm gonna not
1: remember something i mean i remember and jillian of course and i remember the premise but i don't remember that it was a particularly good show or a bad show Goodness. um yeah, uh, you know, again, it was a freelance
0: episode, one episode. Yeah, it was a it was a topper. Like she was uh, Marilyn Monroe in this right. teenage, in this teenage boy's only the teenage boy could see her. Right, but nothing weird went on because it's TV. How many how many episodes did they do? Thirteen, and you know, they're it's an obscure but popular cult following show that there's a there's a non brand DVD that I have that has all the episodes Uh-huh. and old Madeline with Madeline Kahn, the same thing you was just a freelance yes now Madeline Kahn was really funny I mean in
1: everything she did and she was really funny in that show and I remember that show being really fun to write and really fun to watch you know and it was too bad that that one didn't last because you know she was she was fantastic
0: she was doing, like, Lucy. It was kind yeah. of fun.
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people try to do Lucy, but Madeline Kahn could pull it off. You know, most people
0: can't. No, Madeline Kahn is great. I talk, I actually talked to Melanie Chartoff, who played her sister on the show.
1: Right,
0: right. She's a very uh, good actress as well. You wrote an episode of Simon and Simon, which is, was that the only non sicom that you wrote?
1: Yeah. And that one, you know, we didn't, my partner and I wrote that. We didn't know what we were doing. We were, we were sort of, we were at Universal and we were kind of, we were on house calls and they really liked us there. And I don't know, they pitched us to Simon and Simon and we wrote this episode about car racing and they didn't like it. And then they arbitrated us and we only got story credit and somebody else rewrote it. And it, it was not a good experience, ultimately.
0: And you worked on Webster. Yeah, I don't want to talk about
1: that. <laughs> it was no, a- I mean, that, that, that's one that I wish IMDB would erase. But
0: okay.
1: I, I mean, no, it, it was, I mean, that was, it was one of those jobs that, you know, you kind of do. And some people, I guess, liked it out there because it lasted many, many seasons.
0: But... Um, I was the age, I was eight and 85, so I watched Webster every week when it was, on, it was on Fridays, and there's a whole generation that was scared of the episode where Webster burns his house down. It freaked us out as little kids. Wow. And yeah, you weren't you were there on the staff at that when that happened. You know what? I think I blanked out.
1: most of Webster. I I really do think. I mean, I I had an experience with Alex Karras, may he rest in peace, where, you know, I finally got excited about working on Webster because I went back to my parents' house in New York and I found my old football cards. And I had like three seasons of Alex Karras, three different cards. And I brought it in to, to the table read one day to show them to him. And he just like threw them on the floor. He said, I don't do football anymore, it, 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 and and it just like I don't know, it made
0: me feel really awful. <laughs> no, it's funny. My dad did, was a Detroit uh, Lions fan, and Alex Karras was one of his favorite players. He was one of the greats. He was
1: one of the all time greats. And um, by the time he got around to acting in sitcoms, he was just he couldn't act by that point. You know, he he did a good job for Blake Edwards, and you know, Mel Brooks. But. Mel Brooks, but by the time he got to
0: sitcoms, he was just cashing the checks. But um you had two pros, uh Eugene Roach and uh Catherine Damon on that show. Yep, and and Eugene Roach. Oh no, I, I always mix up,
1: you know who I always mix up is Eugene Roche and M Emmett, Emmett Walsh. Walsh. They yeah, look can... the, they look the same, and they kind of their delivery is sort of the same. It's really weird. Uh, if i'm remembering correctly but i remember having we had mm at walsh on home improvement and i would those two faces just they become the same to me
0: mm at walsh is from the jerk as i know that and eugene Roach was from on soap and webster right, and that's, right. that's right on everything yeah i had, was it arnold Margolin that was uh, worked at webster he must have worked there. I don't know if he worked there when I was there, but I, I worked with him briefly on Growing Pains. Okay, uh, because he told me he goes. They they brought me in there because there was too much cocaine use. I was like, on oh, Webster, because like, yeah. you, well, well, you look at the show. If you, watch, you look at... if you watch the episodes as a grown adult, you know, it, it, you're not surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, I was surprised because I haven't watched the show. Obviously, since you know, I'm not going to watch that one in reruns, it's not. It didn't. It's not Taxi, which is my favorite sitcom. Right. Which you can watch over and over again, and it's just great. Sure. There are two episodes of Facts of Life, which is, I actually like that show. It could be good. You know, it, it was a it, There were some things
1: in it that, that there were some good episodes, some not so good episodes, and some good actors and some not so good actors. So I worked on it the year that George Clooney was there.
0: Right, and you wrote one of my favorite episodes from that season, where um, Blair's mother has the baby, has her the Blair's sister.
1: Yeah, so that was like, uh, look who's talking, right? The the baby, the the baby, the you hear the thoughts of the baby, I think,
0: and yeah, at the end of the episode, this was pre look who's talking, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) They did one of the very special episodes where Blair and. Blair and the baby the next year was in in the elevator got sucked in elevator and the elevator operator was an Auschwitz survivor. Oh God, are you kidding me?
1: No, I mean, I'm serious. I don't know. Uh, I mean, no, you were.
0: And so that may be a bridge too far. <laughs> but I watched a lot of TV growing up, and I just remember it. that's my. I, I can just remember everything I've ever seen. Right. So I have that kind of memory. You did wrote an episode of Gung Ho. That's a show I I didn't I didn't watch. I saw the movie, but I,
1: okay, that's a show that was better than than its fate, you know, turned out because we had all these great actors from the movie, that, especially the Japanese actors. They were so good. We had Scott Bakula in the Michael Keaton role, and it it was good. It was it, it was a fun show. It really was. But you know, we came at the worst time. The the whole idea of the Japanese taking over an American car
0: company. Nobody in America wanted to see that, and they think that was funny. Yeah, right. And then you worked on Duet, which I remember was one of the three tentpole Fox shows. Yep. Tracy Ullman, Married with Children, and Duet. Yep. That's it. That's it. That was and a fun show. Too. Yeah, and I watched that. Every, I mean, I was over my head because it was about I was ten and it was about relationships. Sure. But I, I really liked I, the dog was. Was was great, as a kid, you know the dog. Yeah. But Allison the Placca is such a great sitcom actress.
1: Yeah, and I don't know what happened to her. She was she was really good, and we did an episode of Duet that again, I mean, we pre it, we were before the Murphy Brown episode of having the baby. It was a famous episode of Murphy Brown, and. You know, the whole idea was, it, you know, a super career woman finally giving birth. And what is that like? And we did that episode. I wrote it with Alison LaPlaca, you know, many years before the Murphy Brown episode. And Alison was just fantastic.
0: And then she was on, um I know she was on Friends. She was um Rachel's boss and dated uh, Chandler. I think she's married to somebody who's very successful and she just didn't have to do it. Oh, do you know who she's married to? If they're still married,
1: uh, Philip Charles Mackenzie.
0: Philip Charles Philip Charles Mackenzie.
1: Okay, Philip Charles Mackenzie was her co-star in uh, Open House.
0: Right. Played her played her husband, and now is a TV director. It, yeah, I don't know if he's still directing, but yeah, he was doing that for a while. He got his start on Showtime show called Brothers. Yes. Yep. Chris Lemon. It looks looks like his dad so much. Oh yeah, great guy. Love that he, guy. And he seems like a very, very nice person. And um, Matthew Lawrence is, was very good. Yeah, he was good.
1: Chris Lemon and I, you know, Chris is a great piano player. And he, I wrote some episodes where he was playing music in the episodes. So I would write the lyrics. Chris would write the music. And then he would get it published by BMI or ASCAP. And I would get seven cent royalties every now and then.
0: It was really fun. When they went to open house, this young comedian comes on the show as a receptionist. That's right. That's right. Ellen um, DeGeneres. Yeah. She was really funny. Really funny. And I'm remembering they had a impressionist. Danny Gans, who died Danny. young. Yeah. It was yeah late, late 40s. It was a Vegas. Yeah, something like that. It's terrible. But he was very talented. Seeing him all the time. oh, He was on, on TV all the time doing stand-up around that right. time. When did you work on Growing Pains? I worked on there. OK, so
1: when I was on Facts of Life, I worked half a season on Facts of Life. My partner and I didn't get picked up for the back nine. And then, even though we wrote two two episodes that they liked, I don't know what they what they were thinking. And then we got hired on growing pains by neil marlins who created it and then neil marlins got fired by warner brothers and everybody he hired got swept out with him arnold margolin us Uh, so i was there for maybe half of half a season something like that
0: oh so you didn't get an episode did you get an episode
1: no, uh, no we, we didn't even get to write an episode. we We were
0: we re- helped rewrite a, a, you know a bunch of episodes, but we never even got to write one. I think that was the first season of that show, too. Yeah, first season. And then Neil Marlin's created The Wonder Years. Yes. That, that's a much better show. Yes,
1: but the one that made the most of the money was growing paint. <laughs> and it was Stan Marshall and Dan
0: Gunzelman were the ones who replaced him.
1: Yeah, I I later wound up sitting at a table with Dan Gunzelman at, at a wedding and told him that
0: oh yeah you're the guy who fired me
1: without meeting me,
0: it was fine. <laughs> yeah. It always I'm sure like that's Hollywood I'm sure. Yeah, people have been fired without. Then you did a show and I I heard you talking about it what uh, nurses. That, oh yeah, uh,
1: that's where I met Billy Van
0: Zandt. Right, and you didn't have a good time there. And he had a good time there. And I talked to Tom Reeder. And he didn't have a good time there. But then and you guys left. And then they hired um, this guy, Boyd Hale, who was a writer for Letterman. And yeah. Mark Nutter. And they that. had they had a decent time there. The the second and third season. Oh, okay. You guys left and got a better place to work, apparently.
1: Yeah, it was a terrible place to work. Yeah. And uh, I guess finally they got a group of people that they left alone and, and let them do their stuff and whatever. But yeah, Billy and I hated it. We had never worked in a room that was that, you know, it, it, the hours were horrible. The finished product wasn't good. Um, you know, those guys may have had a better time there, but I doubt the show got a whole lot better. I I have to say,
0: you know, they added David Rashi and um, right. Lonnie Anderson. Right and got rid of um Jeff Altman. Right. Bob Underwood is <laughs> the yeah, Bob <laughs> Underwood was the other person. I Jeff Altman, Jeff
1: Altman was one of the fun parts of going to work. He was out of his mind crazy, but so funny and and such a nice guy. I enjoyed seeing him on the set. So, and then you worked
0: on Martin with also with Billy.
1: Yeah, I just did a freelance script there. I didn't really work on the show. That was fun because I was working with Billy and Jane and John Bowman. They were all all great to work with. So you work with the show Coach? Oh, Coach, yeah. Coach was, that was an interesting experience. Uh, Craig Nelson was very, um, he was not easy. Um, so talented, so funny. Um, but, you know, if he didn't like a script one week, he just, uh, there was no fixing it. He threw it out and you started all over again. So there was a lot of that going on and a lot of late hours. But the difference between Coach and Nurse's was we had Craig T. Nelson, we had Jerry Van Dyke, we had comedy, you know, and even if we were working till three in the morning, even if, you know, our our wives were mad at us, we had something of quality there, you know, and that and that was valuable to me on on, on
0: a lot of levels. Was Catherine Hellman on the show at that time?
1: No, she was
0: not. But also, uh, finger Bill Fagarvaki. he's also fun. He's very yeah, and for twenty five Spongebob. yeah, then you did home improvement. I've t- I've spoken to Carmen Finestra.
1: Yeah. oh yeah, Carmen's great. Yeah. those guys, he was one of their creators and uh, they hired me in the, the beginning of the third season. I worked on the show for six years, ran the show for the last three, and you know, threw out um, just a total great experience. Get a lot of pros on that, on that. You sure did. You sure did. I was going to say, I just feel very lucky to have gotten on that show when I did. And, you know,
0: I just, just had a blast. You were there with the, um, the cancer episode when they thought right. the Sonic and that, so one of people's most popular, very special episode. What, what were you, what was the sense of that episode in the writer's room oh. or? I
1: think that the, you know, at that point, Elliot Schoenman was running the show and uh, I, you know, I forget the specific incident that propelled that episode, but somebody, I don't know whether it was a cast member of somebody, somebody had that experience with thyroid cancer or a scare. And, and that's what, you know, propelled that whole episode. Like what happens to a family when, you know, they go through this and, You know, it it was, you know, uh, normally I'm very skeptical of very special episodes, but, you know, we had good enough people to pull it off, I thought. And um, the episode was very, very successful and, you know, people loved it. And it's not a very special episode that, that anybody,
0: would be embarrassed about. No, that's the thing. And I think it's because it's a family member. It's yeah. not a best friend who you've never seen before. Right. It's an actual somebody that you cared about for five seasons or whatever season. And that, what, you, what you just said is a key. You got to
1: know th- these people for five seasons. It's not going to work in season one. But in season five, when you're invested in these characters, you know, you can do it.
0: Sometimes those things, though, sometimes those um, very special episodes are very well-meaning. mean meaning. Oh, yeah, because I talked to people from Mr. Belvedere and they did a they did one where Wesley's friend's friend gets AIDS from a blood transfusion. This was 1985. Right. And they did it because they were friends. They wrote the episode because one of the people was friends with Paul Michael Glazer. And um, oh, right. of course, but the episode just plays with the laugh track and it just plays. Oh. like Yeah, the laugh track so much. So much. And you worked on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah, that was
1: my, really, that my last, you know, producing
0: gig, um,
1: my, my, you know, as the showrunner and stuff. And I did that for two seasons and that was awesome. Um, some very funny people there, Caroline Ray, mm-hmm. uh, everybody was really a joy to work with there and the staff. That i had was really fun and uh you know and nobody took it that seriously in the beginning and i and i wondered could i do this show and enjoy it um because it didn't seem like it was my thing you know uh but they said they wanted to grow the show up send her to college and all this kind of thing and um i had kids that were approaching college age and i thought well you know what this might be interesting uh and it really was fun I I really had a blast.
0: Was there a show that you wished that you could have worked on? Oh, there were many.
1: Uh, I really wanted to work on Cheers. And early on, my late partner and I wrote an episode. um, And we were hoping to do what uh, Peter Casey and David Lee had done. Peter Casey and David Lee had been working on The Jeffersons. And they wrote a spec Cheers and got hired on Cheers, and then they went on to run Cheers, create Frazier. You know, they had an amazing career. So my partner and I wrote a spec episode of Cheers, and we were we really loved the episode, and and it was a great premise. Um, it was Norm and Vera have a baby, and the baby's like really ugly and and nobody knows what to say. And, um, and it was like the same thing, you know, you, we never see the baby, right. But, but, but like we never see Vera. So anyway, we we wrote this episode. I, I, I don't, I no longer even have a copy of that script, but I just remember it. We had a lot of hopes for that script and we thought this would be our entree into more quality, sitcom but I I didn't really get to the more quality sitcom until I got to coach many years later. Um so it's just the
0: way the way it rolls. Yeah I've spoken to 16 uh Cheers writers and they a lot of them had the spec script on that pile of hundred spec scripts. Yep. And some of them got lucky and they got looked at and some of them just sat there.
1: Yep. yep. Also what was great about it was that you're not really adding a baby. You're adding somebody else for Norm to talk about. You know what I'm saying? In, in the end, you don't you don't ever have to see the baby,
0: just like you never see Vera. If they would have bought your script, they would have to have set up that she was pregnant in, in earlier episodes. Yeah. 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 Hmm, that would have been an interesting, yeah, it's, it, would, it would have worked out, I'm sure. Right. You followed the Democratic two thousand 2000- You really do your research. <laughs> uh, Howard Dean, the Dean. Howard Dean, write down. He wrote down uh, praying for Tucson. Yeah. Um, Howard Dean, were you there when you gave that speech? No, no, no. That was the the
1: the film that I made. I had, I guess, I had planned it before the speech, and well, I I, I wanted to get involved you know, taking cameras on on the bus with, with these people, these volunteers, um, because they to me, they were like deadheads. And I wanted to sort of like document that phenomenon in the political sphere, you know, which later became the whole Bernie bro thing, you know, in, in later on. So um, yeah, the scream had already happened. And so by the time I got on the bus with my camera crew, this was sort of like the last chance for Dean to, you know sort of save his campaign. So he didn't save it, but it was still uh it was still pretty amazing, you know, interacting with all these people and and making that dot. I I, lo-
0: I love that in 2004 a guy screaming, "Oh, he's too crazy to be president." Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, in America we would never elect somebody who lets his guard down and and right. says something inappropriate. Yep. I just think that how young we were fifteen years ago, twenty. Years. I, yeah, I agree with you. And then Dan versus Dan versus. Have you ever seen Dan versus? I have. I saw it when it was on.
1: Dan versus. You know, I was just hired because I I kind of knew the executives there. They I'd worked with them at Paramount or whatever, and they had these new showrunners, creators, who they just needed somebody to just kind of guide them. And I go and I meet with, meet with them, and one of them is so funny and so talented and and I thought the show was really smart and really funny on a network that nobody knew existed or nobody could find and it that was that was
0: a, a terrifically done show I thought it was really funny and that's it's just weird that you're you've a credit from 2000 I think it else also Brain is 2001 or 2002 and then 2012 is yeah you, because there's all novels novel writing in between and family
1: tragedy in between my first wife passed away so I had children to take care of and uh, and yeah once I got involved in the novel writing I was not that like I said well it that also coincided with her passing that I had no desire to go into you know, writing rooms and, and, and pitch friends retreads to executives. I really wanted out. And so I stayed out until I got asked to do that. And I had a great time doing it. So, and, that, and that was it. And since then, uh, the, one of the co-creators of Dan Versus and I wrote an animated pilot that we have tried to sell. Um, with one of the executives from that show, and could not get any traction on it, but it is it it's it's really funny, <laughs> and uh, you know what what, what are you going to say? Maybe you can do a novelization of it. Well, it comes from a friend, a, a guy that I, a writer I met. He wasn't a friend of mine when I read the book. Uh, it was a book of short stories, uh, and I sent it to this friend, Chris Pearson. And I said, I think this would make a great animated show. And you did Dan Versus. Do you wanna write this with me? And he said, Yeah, and we got the rights to the the book. And um it's fantastic. The book is called Dazzle. It's a by by Scott Bradfield. It's a book of short stories about a misanthropic dog. And it, it it's so smartly written and you know and and the people it have to be we pitched it to we had to pitch on zoom during covid and you know they're they're all scratching their heads and you know they don't get it, What just all of that all that executive garbage you know I don't think that we could have sold that show on zoom to anybody I don't know how many people showed uh, really you know well-established people could sell shows on zoom um and I don't think in person since I hadn't there was, a, there was such a long gap in my career; I wasn't exactly hot, you know. And and they want to all they all want to be in business with who's ever hot at the moment. So uh, I honestly don't think they were they were getting the show. But I think most most people uh, with a sense of humor and who are smart would
0: have gotten it. Oh, that's too bad because then smart shows are hard to find, and they're mostly animated. Yeah, true. I don't, I don't know if you watch. Um... Bob's Burgers, it's a really funny show. I've seen it. I've seen it, yeah. Simpsons, you know, The Simpsons. Yep, definitely. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you so much, Ian. I
1: appreciate it.